The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So, uh, good evening. And now, uh, is the volume loud enough for you with me? Good? Okay. So, um, uh, the plan for this uh, beginning of the year is for me to give a series of talks on uh, the uh, Buddha's teachings on the four foundations of mindfulness. And uh, whenever I'm here, I'll pick up. It's a particular discourse, uh, a wonderful discourse that uh, is the source for mindfulness teaching and mindfulness practice. So on this Martin Luther King Day, I'm going to continue with that theme. Uh, Normally on Martin Luther King Day, I like to give him a talk. It's related to the topic of the day. It's my favorite holiday because of what it represents and Martin Luther King represents his work and uh, what he represents, what he focused on, what his, his values that he lived um, are quite dear to me and I would like to believe it's dear to Buddhism, civil rights and fighting against racism and uh, economic inequality and uh, uh, opposing uh, the amazing tendency humans and countries human have, have to uh, go to war with each other. And it's maybe a little unfortunate that um, 50 years after he died that uh, what he represented and what he taught and what he acted on is just as relevant now than it was back then. So we have this day, but I'm not going to do that topic. And... Um, Perhaps uh, the liberation that Buddhism teaches through mindfulness, uh, I don't know if it leads to the same thing, but it, uh, it uh, prepares people to be able to uh, be sensitive and aware and alert to a lot of the suffering of the world and the injustice of the world and to be able to encounter it and, and work with it, hopefully in, in, uh, in transformative ways. The teachings, the practice of mindfulness is, uh, can be seen as a preparatory practice or a pre- practice that brings us to a preparatory state, a state of preparation that prepares us to be able to have wisdom. And a particular kind of wisdom, the wisdom that's liberating. And uh, so it's bringing us to a state of a certain kind of heightened sensitivity, heightened alertness, awareness, that is uh, productive or um, uh, capable of triggering some deeper insights. So uh, what is this kind of awareness that not only helps us be present, but more than that, helps us to have an open mind, helps us to have a a receptive mind, helps us to have a, a sharp mind, that allows us to kind of take in and be present and experience and see and understand what's happening so that we can be changed by it. Um, Now, one of the things it requires is a desire to be, willingness to be changed. Um, The willingness to uh, take something in, the world in, take our experience in and be changed by it. Uh, In the teachings of the Buddha, uh, there's many different forms of change that comes from doing mindfulness. And um, some of it is ethical. 
that there's something again about this uh, practice of mindfulness, the awareness that comes, that uh, is said to uproot or destroy, powerful language, destroy um, unhealthy, unethical uh, behavior, unethical activities that people have. So that's a, you know, so it's also a very powerful statement about mindfulness. Mindfulness also uh, is said to be protective in nature. That uh, one of the, another function of mindfulness is something about the awareness of mindfulness, that uh, the way we're mindful, the way we can notice things, that's also said to be deeply uh, protective. Primarily it protects us as we go through the world. And um, it might be that what it protects us most from is ourselves, which uh, is pretty good. The, um, this discourse, The Four Foundations of Mindfulness, is, I don't know how many pages is it, it's maybe 20 pages or so in this big book, The Middle Length Discourses. Uh, I've been reading it, I've translated it, studied it for many, many years, 30 years now. And, uh, and there are times when I've looked at it and been totally bored because I know it so well and it just seems kind of dry. But in the last decade or so of looking at it, it's starting to come much more alive, and I don't see it as dry anymore. Um, I see it uh, it's quite a, 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 a radiant text, a kind of a powerful text that kind of uh, is structured, is written, in a, almost in a way that supports the message. It's probably the most constructed, most carefully constructed, one of the most carefully constructed texts in the, in the early Buddhist canon. Uh, it's very unlikely the Buddha just sat down and gave this sermon. Uh, the, the evidence that exists suggests that that was actually um, put together gradually over time and different elements were added and constructed. Um, so it was an editorial process. But in that process, it became a text that um, is very orderly. Uh, it's, uh, it has a kind of st- uh, ordered, orderly, straightforward um, uh, kind of message that for me when I read it now, kind of brings a certain, kind of represents and brings a certain kind of uprightness and a certain kind of sense of, um, um, like if you go into a very clean room, then uh, an ordered room, it tends to make us, in the, idea, in the best senses of that kind of room, make, makes us kind of be a little bit more alert and present and we care for the things there, as opposed to a room that's totally a mess and chaotic and maybe it's fine to live that way, but you're less likely to kind of treat the objects there with the same kind of care as you would if, uh, if it was, everything was nicely put and cared for and paid attention to. So this text has that feeling to me. And what it does when I read it now, it kind of uh, uh, inspires me to be that way, to be in a certain kind of way, not, not orderly exactly, but uh, to organize my inner life so that uh, there's, a, there's a clarity of purpose and a dedication and a, and a sense of onward leading and a sense of uh, importance of being present in a careful, um, I don't know, I'm not quite sure the language, but careful, systematic way. And anyway, I, has a, a, the very text, it's almost like the text is um, anyway, very carefully constructed. And um, so in that care, it represents a certain kind of deliberateness and intentionality um, and purpose that uh, is inspiring for me. 
And one of the ways it's constructed is that um, it goes from uh, kind of the surface of our life and steadily goes down to more and more subtle areas of our life. Scholars talk about it goes from the gross experiences of life, coarse experiences of life, to the most subtle. And this uh, momentum of moving to deeper and deeper areas of our life, into our heart and depths of our life, um, is uh, one that uh, could be said brings us home. Uh, when the Buddha ta- one, way, one of the ways the Buddha talked about mindfulness, uh, or, or actually literally the four foundations of mindfulness, was through an, 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 many analogies, but the one analogy is he said that um, you know he, he wandered around northern India, and I guess there, I think he was referring to some place on the foothills of the Himalayas, where uh, there are jungles, forests, and um, and there are some places where uh, if you go up the mountains, it's so steep and jagged and uh, that. Um, it's even too d- difficult or dangerous for monkeys to live there. But if you come down into the forest where it's still pretty steep and jagged and trees, um, monkeys can live there quite nicely, but hunters can't go there. So the hunters are safe. But you come further down to where it starts getting flat, then the hunters can come and then the monkeys are no longer safe. And so the Buddha called that middle section where the monkeys are safe um, the native land for the monkeys, the native country, uh, their home country. And if the monkeys leave their home country, they're not safe. And so the Buddha said, mindful, the four foundations of mindfulness are, is our native land, is our home country. And so the idea of the practice is to come home to that. So both to the safety that's there, but also... Uh, to the idea of being home, some place that feels very uh, comfortable, very uh, cozy, very appropriate, where we feel kind of we can be ourselves and maybe be free from dangers and restrictions and all kinds of things. Uh, so to uh, and it's a it's a but you know the four foundations of mindfulness, this practice of mindfulness, um, is not a place. Uh, so it isn't like you go there. It's more like you bring it with you everywhere you go. So there's a way that you become at home, you're in, your, in your home country, wherever you go, by being somehow grounded and sensitive in your, in your, in your, in, in, in your this, this domain, these areas of mindfulness. And there are four areas of mindfulness, domains of mindfulness that are emphasized for this purpose. There's mindfulness of the body, mindfulness of uh, what's called feeling t- feelings or feeling tone, it's a particular meaning. And then mindfulness of uh, the states of our mind. And then mindfulness of the activities of our minds. And as we go through this, they're more and more subtle. And, and also more important, the activities of the mind are the most important ones that either um, cause us harm, the very harm we protect ourselves from, or uh, give us freedom. And so... Um, so we're finding our way to that through these four foundations, this, this path. The, the first one, the uh, uh, mindfulness of the body, uh, begins with an expression that um, is very peculiar. And, uh, and um, 
and I, I, you know, maybe because I've read this so many times, I, I still find it inspiring. So the the description of mindfulness of the body is, is the kind of kind of the general one sentence description is like this: uh, a practitioner abides observing the body as a body, ardent, fully aware, and mindful, having put away covetousness and grief for the world. So when abides observing. So when ab- the word d- abides or dwells uh, has connotations of uh, a certain kind of ease and relaxation, like you're re- at ease and resting. And from that space, um, you kind of observe what's going on with some clarity. And we observe the body. Here he translates as body a- as a body. The literal grammar of the ancient language, it's a body in the body. Um, and uh, what uh, most people think this means is uh, to be, observe the body, be present, be mindful of the body uh, in and of itself, uh, in reference to itself, without comparisons to other bodies, to ideals, to thoughts, to uh, um, associations, to uh, value judgments, to, um, all, you know, plethora of kind of abstract thoughts we can have about the body. Um, but just how, to, it's almost like to be aware of the body um, uh, to, uh, as the body would experience itself. So an example of this that I like to uh, give, especially do this on retreats or sometimes in the intro class to meditation, is um, take some part of your body and often I use a hand and uh, maybe we could do it as an exercise rather than just telling you about it. If you close your eyes, and then, uh, we'll do it this way, close your eyes, and then put your hands together, palm to palm. And gently, you know, touch your palms together, and feel the temperature there, the contact. And maybe you can feel the softness of the contact, or the hardness. Maybe there's vibration. If you're, maybe you feel the pressure, or maybe you can push just enough so you feel pressure. And as you feel your hands this way, uh, chances are that your attention of your palms, of your hands, probably to some degree moves around your hands. Sometimes you're aware of the contact of some of the fingers, then maybe the bottom of the palm, the top of the palm, you know, different ways. Sometimes it's pressure, sometimes it's warmth, vibration, different things. And so take a few moments more and just feel those sensations that are there. And um, if you, sometimes if you just really just feel the sensations in and of themselves, even the idea of the concept and the image of a hand might drop away from the mind and it's just particular sensations that are floating in space, that are in contact, that, are, that, are, that appear there. So staying this way a little bit longer. Now, you could, uh, you know, feel the hand here. And then you could start having these kinds of thoughts. The first you might think about that chances are that most of us have a dominant hand, the one we write with. So that means you have a non-dominant hand. 
So the non-dominant hand, you know, it doesn't do a good job writing for most people. And it's kind of a drag to have this hand that doesn't write very well. Because, you know, something might happen to your dominant hand, and then you have to write with your non-dominant hand, or have to type with it. And it's rather unfortunate you haven't really trained yourself up over the years, and, you know, and it's not quite up to snuff in what you need to do. So you can start having thoughts like that, and you can get into it, and spin out, and come up with all kinds of reasons why this non-dominant hand is, you know, has problems. As you start having these kinds of thoughts, what happens to the contact, the sensations, the feelings, sensations of the hands touching? Chances are you started to lose touch with it. If you, you know, unless you just, you know, thought I was being too silly and ignored me. So you can, so you can put them down and open your eyes. So that's perhaps a little silly thing to do. I was just trying to, um, make this point that it's possible to have a certain kind of attention, awareness, sensitivity that uh, doesn't rely on a lot of ideas and thoughts and complicated, you know, judgments about what's there. Um, But it's just the hand, the sensations in and of themselves very, very simply. So this expression here, the body as a body or the body in the body or the body in regard to the body is to learn to develop as, uh, an awareness, an attention to the experience of the body that is freed up from a lot of the complicated or, or sometimes even uh, painful, even harmful thoughts and ideas that we carry about our body. You know, the, you know and many people spend a, an ordinary amount of time concerned with uh, their body, their looks, and, and uh, feel bad about their body in some ways in all kinds of ways. And some people get very depressed. Uh, there was a woman who I was, uh, was, was speaking a few, last, this last week, and said that uh, when she was, I don't know how she, I think she was 10, and um, she put on a little bit of a, a sweater, it was a little bit tight, I guess, and she, had a, she looked at herself sideways in the mirror and she saw she had a belly. And that kind of, she started to have tremendous amount of shame. And she grew up then from the age 10 to, to some point later in life uh, with this tremendous shame about her body. And it's not uncommon for people to have uh, shame about the body or problems with their body, all kinds of things. And um, so if we experience our body through the lens of the judgments, the stories, the ideas, the internalized messages we've gotten from society, all kinds of things, um, that's a very different experience than experiencing the body in and of itself. To, to have this protective awareness, to have this awareness that's primed for wisdom, to have this awareness that puts us back in our home country where we feel at home and centered in ourselves, it's really important to be able to put aside all these complicated thoughts and ideas that we have and begin tuning in and being sensitive to how it's the body's actually experienced in and of itself. What's the body's experience of itself independent of all those ideas? So that's uh, partly what it means, this idea of um, observing the body as a body or a body in the body. And then it goes on to say, to do so ardently with full awareness and mindful. So this idea of ardency, 
uh, is interesting. Many people come to meditation because they want to de-stress, they want to be calm and be a little bit quieter and not uh, be agitated so much. And, uh, and so the uh, strong association many times is with relaxing and not doing. Uh, and that's valuable for people who are overdoing or overstressed for sure to do that. But at some point, um, hopefully as people keep meditating, the issue of using meditation to de-stress stops happening. And then the meditation can really begin uh, uh, being used for what it was designed to be used for. The Buddha didn't design meditation just to help us de-stress, um, in, just for that, but rather to have a relaxed body, a relaxed mind, in order we can go further with the practice. So, um, so then uh, the idea of being ardent, to be determined or dedicated, to actually give some good energy like really apply oneself. This is important. This is what I'm going to do. And then with here, the the word is fully aware. the 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 literal meaning of the of it is to, uh, co- with comprehension, and uh, some pajana. Uh, I like the translation to clear comprehension. Uh, there is a clear understanding of what's happening as we do mindfulness. That's an important part of this mindfulness practice. And then the third uh, word in this sequence is mindful. So these are the three kind of elements that are at the heart of applying ourselves to mindfulness practice. There's ardency, there's uh, cultivating clear understanding of what's happening, and there is um, uh, uh, the awareness itself, the mindful awareness that's present. So that's kind of the goal, or that's the description. And then it says one more thing. It says, um, uh, when... um, one puts away, having put away covetousness and grief for the world or distress for the world. And um, how I understand this is that um, to covet something is to want something out there. To have distress about the world or grief about the world is to have distress or grief about something that's out there. It's kind of like the object out there. It's something you think about, you can see out there. If you close your eyes in a safe, quiet place, um, if we have, uh, if we caught up in desire about things in the world that other people have, or caught up in any kind of grief and distress in the world out there, which might be reasonable to experience, but it's a way of being involved with the external world. The mind is, is being projected outward as opposed to really centering itself here on itself. And since that's the purpose of mindfulness is to come home and be centered here, be so centered and connected here as a way of this finding this, uh, coming to this uh, very useful, productive kind of awareness, uh, it really helps if at least temporarily we've learned how to turn the attention around to really be here. And so we're no longer focusing on the concerns we have about the world around us. So I like to think of it as a turning our attention 180 degrees around from being concerned with objects, things out there, and really turning around and being much more intimately connected to the subject, to the subjective experience, how we actually are. This is not the end of the story, like we're supposed to be that way all the time, but this is a preparation for being able to then return to the world in a very different way. And uh, hopefully, in a more uh, healthy or, or useful way in the world. So, 
So, uh, abiding, observing, the body as a body, ardent, clearly comprehending, mindful, having put away covetousness and grief, distress for the world. So that's the, the first foundation of mindfulness. And then the text goes on and describes how that's cultivated, how you do, do such things. And it begins with mindfulness of breathing. Um, and to do that, it describes how one prepares oneself to meditate uh, on one's breathing. And that is described this way. A practitioner, say, and how does a practitioner abide observing the body as a body? Here, a practitioner, gone to the forest or to the root of a tree or to an empty hut, sits down, having folded the legs crosswise, sets the body erect and establishes mindfulness to the forefront. So that's how one prepares oneself. And it's kind of a a little bit kind of, uh, you know, it it represents that uh, you kind of get yourself ready for mindfulness. Remember this text I I said is a very um, consciously, intentionally composed text suggesting perhaps that when we sit down to meditate, we don't do it casually, but we do that also kind of intentionally, consciously, and we do it in a way that really kind of supports us, that this is what I'm going to do, this is important, and let's get the conditions right so that I can really do, be here and, and be centered. So here he describes going to a place that's a quiet, where there's not going to be a lot of disturbances, the phone's not going to ring, um, the, uh, your device is not going to beep, um, that someone's not going to come necessarily, maybe it's a little bit isolated. And um, you know, back in ancient India, it was to go into the forest or the foot of a tree or an empty hut someplace, a little bit away from people, so that a person uh, could really sit and be quiet and be left alone and do this inner work. Uh, for us, uh, you know, maybe it means going to a quiet room in one's house or to meditate at a time when you're less likely to be disturbed by other people or the things of the world. So some people like to meditate early in the morning for that purpose. But to go someplace, and I, like the, I love this idea of an empty hut. Um, uh, you know, hopefully sit and meditate someplace where the objects in the room are not going to be enticing for you. Um, you know, it, it's probably not a good idea to set yourself down to meditate with your uh, laptop right, open right in front of you. You know, every time someone sends you an email, the light goes on. And, you know, you just kind of, kind of put things away so you don't have to this. So again, remember the focus is to turn temporarily away from the world and focus on there and not be distracted by it so you can really turn inward and be with this whole experience here. And then it goes on to say, uh, this idea of um, to, um, to establish mindfulness to the forefront. Uh, and this is kind of a little bit of a peculiar language to establish mindfulness. The most likely uh, meaning for this word sati, translated as mindfulness, is awareness. One establishes awareness. Awareness is not something we do. We, do, we don't intentionally do or awareness. 
Awareness is a natural capacity we have that's always here. We sometimes forget about it, we're distracted from it, we're kind of preoccupied. But to be aware is, uh, you know, it's the function of consciousness, of, of our sensory apparatus to be aware. And so it's not so much, so much something we have to do, but something we have to allow for, or reestablish, or reconnect to. And uh, this idea that what we're relying on when we do mindfulness practice is less uh, is is not not a doing activity, but a uh, a uh, an allowing, or establishing, or a or a connecting to a capacity that's always here, but we always we often overlook or often don't recognize in a heightened way. We're so caught up in our thoughts and ideas and all that. So this idea of like a here I am, let me kind of establish myself here and aware, attentive. It's almost as if it's almost to be to establish awareness, it's almost it's not a matter of doing something as it is undoing. It's kind of like putting aside thoughts. It's kind of like almost like it's like listening. You know, if, you, if you're in a quiet, somewhat quiet place and you can try to listen to sounds, you know, it's, it's not hearing. We don't strain to hear, to listen. We open and allow and open our sensitivity to listen. So this, this, to, to establish mindfulness is to call upon a natural capacity that's always here because that's what we're going to build on or use as we do this practice. It's hard to stay there. Some people can momentarily connect to being aware for a moment. Uh, I don't know if this works, and maybe it's silly, and you'll forgive me, maybe. But uh, sometimes I'll hear in this teaching this way, um, I'll suggest to people, I'll give people the instructions to stop being aware. You know, just stop, cut it out. You know, don't be conscious. Just, come on, stop. <laughs> and and uh, most people, when they're given that instructions, simply can't do it. And it's a little bit of a kind of reverse psychology thing because, you know, people will try to be aware in meditation, try to be aware, and the mind goes off all the time and wanders off and, you know, they wish they could be aware. And then as soon, someone soon sits here and says, just stop it. <laughs> uh, you know, you try to stop it and, you know, you, you just like it won't go away, you know. Like, you know. And um, because, so, so um, it's something that's always there that we're relying on. But, but then to stay there, is the art of it. Stay there is what we're trying to develop. To stay in that field of awareness so that field of awareness becomes this productive, useful place to be. So uh, the text then, the first real exercise of the text to begin cultivating this heightened awareness and to keep it present in an ongoing way is done by meditating on breathing, mindfulness of breathing. And... um, and there are four sets of instructions or four steps uh, for how to practice mindfulness of, of breathing that's given here. It says, um, so having established mindfulness to the forefront, ever mindful one breathes in. Mindful one breathes out. Breathing in a long breath, one understands I breathe in a long breath. Or, breathing out 
a long breath, one understands I breathe out a long breath. Breathing in a short breath, one understands I breathe in a short breath. Or breathing out a short breath, one understands I breathe out a short breath. So that's the beginning. It's going to go on a a couple more steps. And here, uh, it's it's talking about a movement. First being aware of a coarser breath, a long breath, and then becoming aware of a short breath. And what this is describing is going from uh, a more ordinary, agitated state and becoming calmer. And generally what happens is that breath becomes calmer as well, more subtle. The breath becomes shorter uh, and more, uh, uh, you know, and sometimes it gets so subtle you hardly recognize it's there. But if you're agitated, if you're stressed out, if you just did a marathon or something, you're going to be breathing a lot, heavy breaths, big breaths, and all that. And as things calm down, the breath calms down and it gets shorter and shorter. And so what we're doing is uh, here is we're just beginning to tune into our breathing, being mindful of it, and recognizing the clear comprehension of this being very simple about the breath. Uh, the, the simple quality of whether we're breathing coarsely or, or subtly. And we watch the change as we settle in. Part of the reason to do this is to simply develop a concentration, a steadiness in the breathing. The more you can follow the, the rhythm of breathing, stay with in-breaths and out-breaths, the less energy goes into our thinking. And, um, and, uh, and the more we can kind of take the energy that goes into thinking and distractions and preoccupations and put it over and give it over to our breathing. So there's, there's a fullness of attention of breathing. Uh, and that's kind of the art of this mindfulness thing, mindfulness practice is to discover and experiment, find how to have a full awareness on the thing we're paying attention to. I'm quite capable of being on my breathing a little bit and be thinking about something I'm, you know, I'm concerned with and kind of be multitasking. And um, I met one person who said to, told me, I was kind of amazed, I, I, I don't know, maybe, maybe people can do this. Maybe I'd, uh, he said, he claimed, that he could think about seven different topics at the same time. He said, you know, I said, you mean very rapid succession? He said, no, no, like multi-tracking. So that was quite impressive, I thought, and uh, that he would even think that. But even if it's not literally, you know, simultaneously, to be juggling seven things kind of continuously together, that's quite a fragmented mind. And uh, maybe he's productive. But, um, but the point of mindfulness practice is to gather together our attention so the full attention is there uh, on what we're paying attention to. And this is where we come back to this idea of the hands touching. If you take your two palms and touch, you don't have to do it now, but to have both hands touching fully and really let the fullness of contact be there um, as opposed to just taking, you know, you're gonna, you know, you're told to put the hands together and you just do the fingertips touch lightly or you take one, one little finger and just touch the palm of the other hand and, you know, and then the, the hands, you know, not, it's not really full. But to bring our full attention to the experience of breathing is the art. And that's not an easy thing to do, but every time we notice the attention is not with the breathing, that means that it's not fully on the breath. And slowly we gather the, 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 the mind, slowly we gather the attention, slowly we learn what it's like 
to take all the energy of awareness or attention and have it fully there, not split, not multitasking, just with the breathing. So the simplicity of just being with the breath coming and going um, does this. Some people find just doing that is very calming. Uh, Some people find it a tremendous relief if they're able to do that because it takes them out of the ruminating mind, uh, which uh, has been said now by psychologists that uh, one of the leading causes of depression is rumination and uh, and other, uh, you know, difficult emotional states. And to be able to kind of step away from or turn off the ruminating mind and just by just really bringing our attention to the breathing, um, for some people, uh, it's really health producing. It's very, very helpful. So as so to begin there, just focusing on the breathing, simplifying our experience to just coming to coming down to the breath, learning to do that, learning to let go of the distractions, come back, learning to kind of not just come back in a mild, in a in a light way or half-hearted way, but to come back with a full-hearted way, so we're fully there, as full as we can, and then we stay with the breath, tuning into the breath, watching it, seeing it change over time. Then it goes on to say, in this, in this mindfulness of breathing, it says, um, and now it, it, uh, the language changes. Uh, now it talks about training. One trains oneself. One is, one is, uh, training is more than just practice. Training has to do with c- developing something, uh, a skill or capacity. One trains oneself thus. I shall breathe in experiencing the whole body. When trains oneself thus, thus, I shall breathe in, I shall breathe out, experiencing the whole body. And uh, this idea that when, uh, at some point, as we settle into the breathing, it's not, at some point, the awareness that becomes full, it stays full, but it can become a little bit, spread out a little bit more and become aware that, and peripheral awareness, perhaps, become aware of um, uh, teachers say t- one of two things: either the, f- the more the full body, what's going on in the body, or the full experience of breathing. So, for example, you might first become aware of the breathing in the chest, but as you settle into the breath, then the whole experience of uh, breath throughout the body, throughout the torso, becomes more and more sensitive, more attentive to it. The belly, the front rib cage, the back rib cage the nose, the, you know, it's much more the fullness of breathing becomes more and more evident. And for some people, it's beyond that. As the mind gets quieter and more focused, there's a heightened sensitivity to more of what's going on in the body. Um, and, uh, and so that we opens, opens up to this wider experience of the body. But for a very interesting purpose, and this is the last exercise for, uh, in mindfulness of breathing, um, one trains oneself, I shall breathe in, relaxing the bodily formations. One trains oneself, I shall breathe out, relaxing the bodily formations. And uh, so this expression, bodily formations, is an interesting one. Uh, it means that experience, uh, that the experiences we have of our body either connected to just breathing or our whole body, that are there because of how the mind is, what the mind does. So uh, to be a little bit more maybe clear, uh, if you um, 
sit and you start getting, you know, start being quieting down, becoming aware of what goes on in your body, and you notice that your shoulders are tense and tight and sore. That's there maybe because you've been anxious all day. Those sensations in the shoulders are there because of what the mind does. This anxious thinking, anxious preoccupation. If you're angry and your stomach is hot and tight, those sensations in the stomach are are byproducts or 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 kind of a, not byproducts or you know are there because of what the mind does. It turns out there's a fairly high d- a percentage of sensations in the body that are there because of the momentum of how we've been using our minds. And so that begins to catch up with us as we start meditating. And there can be layers and layers of this kind of physical men- physical tension that we carry in the body that are there because of how we've been living our lives with our mind. That's called the bodily formations. And what the Buddha, the instruction the Buddha gives, as we settle in, after we kind of settle in, getting more fully there with the breathing, as we develop a little heightened, more sensitivity to what goes on in the body, and you start noticing these tensions in your body, relax it. So as you breathe in, relax the bodily formations. As you breathe um, out, relax the bodily formations. So, sit down, establish awareness. With that awareness, start become aware of your breathing, breathing in and breathing out. Notice, in a simple way, the qualities of that breathing, long or short, coarse or subtle. And, and start using the qualities, the characteristics of your breathing as a way to gather your attention to be more and more fully here in your body with your body breathing. As you do that, uh, at some point, you'll start becoming more attentive, more sensitive, more aware of what's going on in your body more widely. Something will be, start aching, so you feel a tension, something will begin happening. And feel that for a while. As you feel, after a while, and you felt and got to know it, then as you breathe, you're allowed to relax it, soften. Uh, don't do it uh, uh, aggressively. Don't do it rapidly. Don't relax rapidly. Uh, don't uh, overdo it and try to make it a big project out of it. That's counterproductive. But to within reason, try to relax. And you know you're relaxing just enough, just right, if it helps you be more present if it helps you to be settled into your body more and helps that awareness thing, the awareness, to be a little bit stronger and more present. And, um, and then you can do that over and over again. I've been doing this for decades. And I find that uh, I just love m- this practice mindfulness of the breathing. The, um, you, know, you think that you do the same thing, you know, three, four breaths and you kind of figured them out, right? That's it. And, um, but um, it just it opens up a whole world, a fascinating inner world, like a door into the, into the inner life and to all these different states and all these different healing qualities and wisdom qualities that come from mindfulness of breathing. And so to spend time developing and cultivating an, a stronger and stronger awareness, present moment awareness, focused awareness, a full awareness, to cultivate the capacity of that ability with the simplicity of just with the breathing, with the breathing, with the breathing. Come back, be with the breathing. Um, if you're bored doing it, 
your attention is not fully in the breath. If your attention is fully with the breath, it's impossible for you to be bored. Some people get bored when there's aversion, resistance, when they're living a little bit too abstractly in their thoughts and ideas and expectations and everything and they're kind of removed from the experience. Boredom, as some people say, is a sign of being removed from your experience. So the idea is fully present for it. So kind of like when your hands touched together, fully have them touch. When your awareness is with breathing, have the awareness fully touch the experience of breathing. Or have the experience of the body breathing fully touch awareness. Have them be fully there. There's no room for boredom. And so if you do feel bored, um, what I hope is what I just said inspires you to not believe the boredom, not be pushed around or ordered around by the boredom, but rather say, boredom, you know, I'm going to give myself over more fully. I'm going to really make contact here, really be here more fully, really make the effort, be inspired to really have full awareness, full contact. And this might be all that's needed. My meditation teacher and Zen teacher in Japan said that everything you need to know about Buddhism uh, can be discovered through mindfulness of breathing. Then the Buddha goes on and describes, uh, gives what's called a refrain that follows every exercise that's given here. So uh, as we cultivate this mindfulness of breathing, it brings us to this next level uh, which uh, includes a kind of uh, bringing the mind to a certain kind of lu- state of lucid awareness. And that I'll talk about next time because we're out of time and this is enough. So what I hope this uh, talk does, um, because I think this is what it does for me when I read this text, is um, to maybe kind of inspire or evoke uh, an interest to become curious and interested, what is this, this this animal, this thing, this wonderful capacity of awareness? What is it, and how is it? Can you how can you use it? How can you make it come alive for yourself? How, why is it protective? Why is it? What's it? Why is it bring you to a place of being prepared for wisdom? How is it that it can bring you home in some way? How is it that it can be calming and settling and focusing? What is this thing, awareness, for you? And what is it to rely on it or settle into it or apply it to something as simple as the breathing? Uh, be curious. Be fascinated. Enter the world and see what you discover. And then when I come back next time, I'll continue this series of talks. And maybe next time I'll talk about the refrain. And, uh, and, and then the next exercises have to do about bringing the mindfulness into daily life. So that makes it very practical. And that'll be in uh, two weeks. I won't be here next Monday. So um, thank you all very much. Enjoy your awareness.